This is Experts by Experience Podcast. Looking at where you started from It seems like a long way now But grateful for all you've been through Keep running, still learning Hello and welcome to the EBE podcast. We are back with season two and the start of the season discussing the horrible and inhuman conditions of asylum accommodation and its impact on people's mental health and well-being in this episode. My name is Azadeh Husseini, the communication and engagement officer at Refugee Action and your host for this episode. Hi everyone. Thank you very much for uh, having me with you today. I'm Tara Povey and I'm Policy and Research Manager at Refugee Action. Hi everyone, this is Nayan Khan. Uh, I'm an asylum seeker and besides that volunteer and Doctors of the World National Health Advisor. Hi everyone, my name is uh, Ejure Kifa. I'm a member of BRAVE. I've been in the asylum system for some time now. Thank you. Thank you and welcome everyone. Before we start our discussion, let me give our audience a bit of background information. In 2020, during the pandemic and lockdown, in order to prevent homelessness, the Home Office started using empty hotels to house people seeking asylum. It's supposed to be a temporary thing, but now after two or three years, and given the lockdown is lifted and everything back into the normal, it's still a staggering number of 51,000 people living in hotels. And when we say people, we are talking about vulnerable individuals and families with young children living in absolutely abhorring conditions. The living conditions in these hotels are way below minimum standards, lack of proper hygiene, unhealthy and unbalanced food, smaller spaces, eight pounds per week as a financial support, which is nothing, a prison lock conditions, there is no such things as freedom of movement and lack of privacy, obviously, and all of that have irreparable impacts on any individual's mental and physical health. Now I'm asking our panelists to share their findings and experience on bad accommodation with our audience. So Tara, I'm going to start with you. Uh, thanks very much, Azadeh. Yes, when we did the research for on accommodation, one of the things that we found was that we use a lot of words to describe the system of asylum accommodation in the UK. We talk about temporary accommodation or contingency accommodation. We talk about hotels. We talk about dispersal accommodation. But some of these words that we're using are really hiding the kind of real situation that's going on in this country with the um, accommodation that's that's being provided to people seeking asylum. And what we find that when we look at the situation is we're looking at large numbers of people, tens of thousands of people, as you said, 50,000 people being held in temporary or contingency accommodation, mainly in hotels in this country. And of course, bad situation going on in dispersal accommodation as well. People being held in these conditions indefinitely for months and for sometimes years. 
uh, with very, very low levels of support that is so low that they can't afford basic and essential items like food, like milk for babies, like winter clothing, medicine, bus fares, transport, communication, all of those kind of things. They have very little contact with the outside world because of that. They're often in isolated areas, which is having a really bad impact on people's mental health. And they're living in conditions that are really breaching their human rights at every level. And that's causing a real crisis in terms of their physical health and their mental health. And this is, as you said, really a system of detention where people's freedom of movement is being restricted where there is arbitrary punishment and control going on in these circumstances. They're living in situations where there appears to be little guidelines, minimal safeguarding or no safeguarding happening. And really, it's uh, people are being subject to levels of control and punishment that no other group in the UK is being subjected to. And, you know, we find that Of course, these are people seeking asylum. They should not be in detention. They have not committed any crimes. They have not committed, they have no access to legal representation uh, in a majority of cases. They are following their human rights by claiming asylum, and yet they are being detained in these conditions, which is really, really having such a disastrous impact uh, on their physical and mental health. And so we really need to start thinking about what's going on behind these words that we're using when we're talking about um, asylum accommodation, because what we're finding is that really this is a system of detention. You know, this is a system of putting people in situations where they have very little freedom to move and where they don't have information about their asylum claim, where they're waiting for months and years. And, you know, something really needs to be done about this, about this situation. The other thing that we found is when we look at the equalities characteristics of people uh, who are being held, uh, for example, in contingency accommodation in hotels, we found that the huge majority of people that are being held in hotels are from countries in the Middle East and in Africa. And that's obviously not all of the people who come to the UK seeking safety, um, but that is this particular group of people who are being subject to these policies that are disproportionately impacting brown and black people um, who are coming from countries where there are no safe routes uh, to reach the UK, where it is very, very difficult, where they are encountering a hostile and cruel system, and they are being placed in isolation and in detention in these circumstances. And so that is really what we found, a system of segregation. It means that people from these countries are being kind of put away in these places where their human rights are being breached. But the other thing I think that really comes out of some of the research that we did, and we spent a lot of time looking at the information that's being gathered by caseworkers and volunteers who are from Refugee Action, who are working with people seeking asylum in hotels, is that you know people are not uh, passive in the face of these breaches of their human rights. People are actively trying to resist. People are fighting for their rights. 
Uh, people are trying to make the situation that they're in better. They are trying to find out information about their asylum claim. They are trying to report the problems with food and with overcrowding uh, and with uh, the unsanitary conditions that they're finding in hotels. Uh, when they don't get any help um, from the organizations um, and government bodies that are supposed to be there to help them, such as migrant help, they are uh, recording the treatment that they're facing. They're taking videos. They are, they are trying to communicate with the outside world, with the rest of the UK, what is going on. And so I think that also is a real testament to, uh, you know, how people are finding themselves in extremely difficult position because of the policies of this government, because of these hostile policies um, and, and how they are fighting for their rights as well. Thank you so much, Tara. It was very informative. One of the issues for me is when we are talking about hotels and hotels condition, there are so many people out there, I mean public, they have absolutely no clue what we are talking about. Well, I don't blame them because partly lack of proper information and transparency from home office. And the other side is normally or all of us, when we say hotel, the first image come to our mind is fantastic place place we go to get away from daily life and the stress with the great food, five-star services. But unfortunately, what asylum seekers going through is far from what we have in our mind. And it's actually, it is actually opposite side of it. So I'm going to you, Nian Khan. Could you tell me about your experience living in hotels? Thanks, Azata. Uh, let me start from the beginning. When I apply for asylum, they send us to the hotel. And at that time, my wife, she was eight months pregnant. And my two other kids, which was like eight years, and another one was six years. So they take us to the hotel. And that hotel doesn't have family rooms. In charge team in the hotel, they ask us that we can only give, provide you two separate rooms so that if you might live with your one of child in one room and then your wife in another room. But it was hard for us because even the room was not in front of each other. It was like other sites and we wouldn't have any choice to accept that one. So when we go inside the room, then my wife and kids say that, oh, we cannot sleep like separate because we are scared here. This is like a very hard for us to do like this. Then we all were sleeping in one room. And my two kids, they were sleeping on the floor. We just putting one blanket under them to just sleep then. And my wife we, and I were like sleeping on the bed. And sometime I was sleeping on the floor and all the kids, they were sleeping on the bed. So when I was saying to the kids, let's go to sleep in another room, they said, no, we don't want to sleep there. So as my wife, she was also like pregnant in a very like time that she cannot sleep alone. Of course. Yeah. So the time when the new baby came, that time also we were staying in the same room, five of us. So and the only thing which they gave us the small tiny bed for the new baby, 
and we also fixed that bed inside that one room <laughs> so it was like very hard moment for all of us and we were, every day i was telling to the in charge team in the hotel that we are really in the problem we me and my wife we don't have any kinds of privacy because of the kids and nothing so we need at least family room is fine for us they know we don't have anything there are 600 people so we cannot fulfill everyone's choice everyone's demand so we are also like they were making an excuse to just wait or do you just go so and i call migrant help many times and they said just we will like let know the hotel team to help you with this issue but besides this room issue that we had the food was terrible until now and we all those people who are staying in that hotel we all did like a thousands of complaints it's like not a one complaint to 10 not more than 100 or maybe up to 1000 complaint with no choice left and then we complained to the council of this where the hotel is located and then the council people came and involved in the hotel and they called the company to come so what the company were doing they were just like cheating the people i don't know like cheating us or maybe cheating the, the related department or whatever the chief of that company were coming and they were just like talking with the, his or her own employee and the kitchen staff they were saying everything is fine and we are happy with our work and he was like going back then one day i stopped the guy in the hotel i said who is this guy said, let me talk with him he said no 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 you cannot talk with him I said, he should ask from us that what we want, not from you. Obviously, you are, true, yes. you are his mm -hmm. staff. So obviously, you will, you will say good things about your company. So let me talk. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. No, you cannot talk. Whenever he is done with me, then you can talk if he give you time. Then we, and I was waiting for him that at least I can catch him up later to talk with him. Like, can you try this food? And then you can write the feedback that whether we are happy or not. But I couldn't succeed. Even I tried many times. We were like shouting. And, you know, especially like for Muslim community, because majority are Muslim there. And the food was like smelling half cooked. Oh. Rice was like plastic taste, you know. And especially for Ramadan month. You know, if you fasting for like 18 hours, 16 hours at the end, they give you a food which is like cool since uh, lunchtime and they give you in the evening time. And they ask you to make it hot by yourself. And there is only one microwave with uh, like almost 50 families fasting. So everyone was waiting for that microwave to make hot their foods. So we... we past the Ramadan months like this kinds of situation. But luckily one guy, some Arab communities and some Afghans communities, some Pakistan communities, they get involved with some of their people and they were bringing a food packs every iftar time for the Muslim community to at least the people should have a good food. Mm. And that was not like, like for all the people, whoever go first, they can serve. Mm. And they were saying that we only can afford this much because we are bringing to another hotels as well. So what we can afford, we can bring to you. We, we cannot give to everyone. So whoever come first, we can give to them. And that's it. Mm. Kids every day asking, oh, I want my own food. What is this? That the potato is half cooked. Which kinds of potato is this? 
And the worst thing is that, to be honest, I really start hitting potatoes <laughs> because every food, the full packets or the box of the food is like the three parts is the portion is potato and only one portion is like maybe half boiled chicken or maybe half boiled rice and that's it. That's and horrible. people just trying the chicken and the potato is there. I'm sure that the whole potato goes back to the bin. Mm. And it's a wasted because it's also course, like yeah. for not for anyone's benefit. And the, another thing is recently, they just like a month or two months ago, they stopped giving milk for the people. They stopped giving sugars. They stopped giving coffees. And why is that? Did I say anything? They, they said that, oh... A person which is only an individual, he's taking a lot for himself and keeping in, the, in his room. So I told the guy in the hotel, okay, the person is doing that, then you must have a proper management. It doesn't mean one guy is doing and you stop for 600 people, other people. So is like a proper thing? No. A person who is like coming, doesn't want to have food and he or she is asking for one packet of milk. That because she's saying that I want to drink milk with the bread because I don't like the food. But they refuse to give. You are only one person. Go fill up your glass from the big container. Mm. And then she said, I don't want even that one glass. Because I don't want to eat the food like even lunch, dinner. So I just drink milk with the bread or maybe biscuits or whatever. But they refuse. And she start crying, go back to the room. I don't want to eat anything at all in this hotel. And the issue of paying that the weekly allowance. So if you have like two, three kids, every day they want something. Every day they coming from school, they want to have something because they see other kids. They go inside McDonald's, they go inside KFC. They are asking me. Sometimes I feel why we are in this condition that our kids want something and we are just making an excuse. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not good for the health. It's not good like this. Like such thing I do. My mm-hmm. kids, they say, Dad, let's go buy donuts. Then I say, oh, no, it, it has a lot of sugar, so it will be not good to your health. But the issue is that behind this thing is that we cannot afford. If every day we buy donuts means five pounds, six pounds. So weekly, maybe up to 100. So they just give me for five of us, they just pay 40 pounds. With uh, now, baby is like almost one years, And she is now also start eating foods. So for her, nothing. And my other kids, they start following the, the hairs. I have the photos. I have like all the evidence and we take them to the GP and GP said the vitamins in their body is zero. No vitamins at all. No irons, nothing. And my younger kids, her, kid, her hair is following. And when she see the hair, she cry. Why my hair is following? We need to do something which is like, like affects people's mental sides, especially for us. And you can see me as well. My hair also start following. Who can eat the chicken which you check and there is full of blood inside? Oh, yeah, actually, sorry interrupting, but I heard that before. I mean, so many reports we have from our clients, our members, the food, the yeah. chicken or meat, or beef, whatever it was, was uncooked or smelly. One of our, our caseworkers actually was saying when she smelled for the first time, she felt sick. Yeah, most of so them. I, I also have, like, I know most of the people staying with us in is from our country and they felt sick. Oh. 
That's why they are not eating and they start hating the, the chicken and they start hating the meats, which is our favorite food. <laughs> and if people coming in this situation that they start hating their favorite foods, so no one can imagine which kinds of life is that. <laughs> That's the only things. So is and besides that, besides all these issues that we are facing, the another thing is the waiting time. It's like mostly more than one year we are waiting and still nothing. Nothing from home office. Nothing. No. Nothing is like no yes or no no. Have you been through all interviews? The first and the second no. The second no, no not yet. Yeah, oh not my yet. God. And you know that the worst thing is what you know. My kids they always saying, "Dad, these people came after us and they go before us. They got house before us. Why did we did something wrong or no?" Then. Who should answer this question? You know, whenever people are coming from council, from any charity in our hotel, I'm always asking if the family has the priority, then why we are here more than one year with no answer? With the one years old baby. Yeah. With the one years old baby, with the eight years and with the six years. Mm. Then who should answer this question? If someone should answer me, yes. Sir, because of this this problem, you are waiting the waiting list. So we should know that yes, we have problem. If there is no problem, then why? The kids they understand everything. When they see something, they immediately react on that. That's why they always telling me why they are not giving us any response. Why no documents? Why I cannot go out from this hotel? We have one family which is in Manchester, and she also have kids. So my kids are very happy when they see the other kids they playing, and then they always saying why we cannot go to her house because we are not allowed to leave the hotel for more than twenty four hours. That's actually want to ask you that question about freedom of movement. Yeah. How is that? Can you just explain? A bit yeah, more? you are not allowed to stay outside more than twenty four hours. If you stay outside, the in charge team which is in the hotel, they complain to the migrant help that this family is out of the hotel for 24 hours. So no one knows what will happen after that. They will either kick you out from the accommodation or what. Mm. That's the issue. And no one are allowed to come and stay with you, either one night. If you even keep one person without informing anyone, it means you create a very big problem for yourself. Mm. And now recently they just start to allow a visitor like a present for just few hours and after few hours the security come knock your door ask your visitor to leave but it sounds like a prison you have visitor yeah and for a limited time and the officer could come to know you say oh the time is up go out it's like that but if what if in case someone's families like from far place like Manchester or maybe from other place, five hours, six hours, at the end they come to just see you for the few hours? No. Or maybe if you go there, your whole day will go in the on the way of traveling. Like let's say we go by bus, it's obviously six hours. So we go there and we just stay one night and to just relax ourselves for a few hours and then come start coming back so that you are afraid my 24 hours will be complete. So what's the benefit? Mm-hmm. You obviously you will spend like if you go five of us, we go maybe we spend like more than hundred. Spend is is one side, but at least we should stay one week, or at least maybe three two three days. But it cannot happen like that. So that's why people have a scary mind idea. If I go 
maybe they evict me, maybe they deport me, maybe my case will affect or either some people in charge people and then the hotels, they also put this idea in your mind. Oh, if you do something wrong, your case will be affected. What wrong? I haven't killed anyone. I haven't fight with anyone. So what did I do? To just see my family, just see my relatives? <laughs> so as according to what you said, they are creating um, culture of fear, culture of, not culture, actually, it's a very hostile environment inside these hotels and create a, a constant anxiety and yeah. distress for everyone, which is horrible. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, um, now I'm going to ask Jura about her experience living in hotels. First of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Just want to ask you, could you share your experience living in contingency hotels? Uh, the first time my children and I claim asylum, we were taken to this house. It's like a big ghost there. We were put into a war room. Initially, my son was about 18 years old. He was taken to another room with other boys. And my two younger ones and I was given one room. At the end, after about three days, they stayed there, my eldest son. There's no space for him in the other room, and they brought him to me. So four of us were in one room, double bed. Uh, it was a double bunk, actually. The first night we got there at 2 a.m. in the night. So the bed was made because of the distance we were tired. And we just hop onto the bed. By morning, all our body was full with rash. We were all itching like mad. I said, ah, what happened to us overnight? So I went to Margaret Help downstairs to go and complain. They said I should go and see the nurse. So they booked an appointment for four of us. We went to go and see the nurse. The nurse now checked it and saw that it was the bed bug that beat us up. So they said, they now told the, the people in charge of the hostel to fumigate the, the room. But instead of fumigating the room, what they just did is, was just to come in, change the bed sheets, and change the... Uh, the pillowcases, that was all. And I asked, I said, why are you not fumigating the room? They said uh, they have to put in for fumigation. By three days, you can no longer see our, uh, our skin was, was really horrible. When our vicar came to check on us and saw the children itchy like blood, then I asked, he asked them what happened. And they said it was bedbo. He now went to go and buy something to fumigate the room. That was the first day. We now fumigated the room before we can sleep on the bed peacefully. When we stayed there, we I, I and my children live in that Ube house for about six weeks before being moved to a house in Bradford. We were put in this house. Actually, they said the house was supposed to be to be fixed before they move us. But because there was no space in that hotel, they hardly move us into the house. So we were there 2020, then early 2021, in the evening around 8 p.m. We were just watching TV in the city room. My son, the youngest, it was about eight or nine. 
He said he was going upstairs to go and sleep. I said, fine. Suddenly, as soon as he just climbed the step, what I heard was the roof coming down to the living room. I started screaming. My daughter was screaming and uh, we were so confused. I was so scared for the life of my son. I ran, I ran, I jumped over the roof to check on him. He said, Mom, I'm okay, I'm okay. With that roof coming down right in my presence, it's as if all the, my life was just crumbling up before me, including all the stress that we've already passed through. So I checked the time, it was 9 p.m. What will I do? Who can I call at this time? So what I did was that, because it was the bathroom, I ran the bathroom, and the bathroom was closer to my children's room. So we all slept in my own bedroom because I could not allow them to sleep alone in their room. In the morning, I started calling my grandhead, calling everyone. So immediately, they rushed down and saw the roof has caved in, and everything was on the floor. They said, okay, they, are, they will move us to a temporary place before they will feast the place. So when the home office came and saw the condition of the house, they now said, no, they should look for a complete accommodation for us. That is how they move us. We have been living here, although it's not that conducive, uh, because I've got kidney disease and it's only one toilet. And the step, my God, the step is terrible. Sometimes if I'm climbing the step, I have to climb with both hands and legs to climb upstairs to wee. Because it's, uh, it's, it's so difficult for me to go to toilets as frequent I can, as I can. That is where I really find myself now. The Astalor issue, it has not been made easy on our life. It has uh, taken a lot of uh, things from us. You can see everybody in my house all moody, depressed. Even my children can no longer play because they feel very depressed. Number of children in the asylum in the asylum system struggling with their mental health. So I'm so scared for my children. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Ijure, for sharing your horrible experience. And I'm so sorry and heartbroken, truly heartbroken, with you and your family being through. No child deserved to live in such condition. And unfortunately, this is not an isolated case. There are so many children in the asylum system living in horrible conditions, they're deprived from livelihood, deprived from being child, doing normal things. Uh, some of them are left out of education and many of them suffering from mental health at a very young age. And unfortunately, there is no proper mechanism to protect them. Thank you so much for for sharing that, uh, Ejiro and, and Khan as well. Thank you for sharing your uh, experiences. I mean, just to say that, I mean, what we found is that everything that both of you have said is, is not just being said by one or two or a handful of people. This was, this was reported by really, really large numbers of people. I mean, the evidence was just undeniable. The, the numbers of people reporting about the low quality of the food. And again, I think, you know, we need to remember that when we're talking about low quality food, what we're actually talking about is hunger. What we're talking about is malnutrition. Um, and, you know, obviously the way that is affecting children and children's development as well. We had many, many cases of parents who were 
just, I mean, absolutely heartbreaking, just, you know, not knowing what to do. They can see that their children are losing weight. They can see that their children are not eating. Um, they can see that the quality of food is not appropriate for, for, for children or for anyone. Um, so these are things that are really being reported by everyone. Um, and and similarly with with children being in um, in 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 this form of accommodation, I mean there are many many reports um, that have been released uh, that have said that this this type of accommodation is never appropriate for a child um, uh, at any any stage. That children should not be held in temporary accommodation. Uh, that families with children should not be in hotels for long periods. Um, uh, and obviously what we found is actually the opposite, that you know families with children were held in hotels for long periods. And even when they were moved to dispersal accommodation, often they were moved to very low quality accommodation where things like what you described, Ejiro, which is which is absolutely just, you know, so terrifying an experience for you and your family to go through. Um, where, where things like this can happen or just inappropriate accommodation, what you are describing about, you know, the, the way that the, your accommodation is, is inappropriate for your mobility. Um, you know, people who can't, uh, who can't access um, the bathroom or can't, uh, or can't access the outside because there, there's stairs and there's mobility issues. Um, so, so all of these things are really reported by large numbers of people, um, and it's not, you know, it's really at a stage where we can say that this is not, this is not an accident that these things are happening. These are features of this system, of this hostile accommodation system that is that is there to punish people, and that's the effect that it's having. It is exactly as you um, as you said, Ajira uh, and Azadeh and Khan. It is robbing children of their childhoods. Uh, it's not ever an appropriate place for for children to be, and in fact, when when you look at uh, the the reasons why 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 are people being placed in this kind of accommodation? Why is it not possible for people to be placed in appropriate accommodation? Um, it, it's not due to sometimes you think or you hear this uh, idea that well it's due to the fact that there isn't very much uh, accommodation out there or there are too many people or or whatever, all of these things. But actually, when you look at the providers of the accommodation, there are three main providers of asylum accommodation, three companies, basically, Serco, uh, Mears and Clear Springs. Those providers are making enormous profits out of this accommodation uh, that they're providing out of the government contracts. So the government is basically running a system where they're enabling these private companies to make millions of profits um, out of this system. And so a much, much better system and a system that is appropriate and that's actually in keeping with people's human rights is to have people 
in the community where they belong in appropriate housing, in high quality housing, so that people can rebuild their lives and they can be in appropriate places while the asylum claim is is being decided on. And that actually is an entirely workable system, but instead we have this system where these private companies are actually making a profit out of what is basically, you know, people's misery, and that's the this the system that this government has um, uh, has come up with. So, you know, we really need to to hear these stories. We need, really need to start, you know, challenging. Um, these these views about what asylum accommodation really is. Uh, we need to get these stories out there and we need to change government policy because there is a much better way of doing this and it is actually much more workable and a much more uh, humane system. So, yeah, just thank you for sharing all of that and, um, you know, thank you for, you know, just bringing this to everybody's attention. Come on, sing a ring. Oh, free indeed.